And welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Drake and Marie. I am one of your hosts, Maxwell Alexander Drake. I'm an award-winning novelist and former lead fiction writer for Sony's EverQuest Next, as well as a bunch of other things. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, Marie. Hello, my name is Marie Mullaney. I am the author of Sangwheel Chronicles, an epic fantasy series, and I run a YouTube uh, channel on world building, on fantasy world building. As always, please like, subscribe, follow, share. I know you guys got writer friends that have never heard about us. So, you know, if you're getting something out of this, don't be greedy. You know, share the wealth, give it out to them. Uh, it is the only way you can help us continue to grow this podcast and this platform and everything like that. All right. So today we're going to continue with this whole plotting a book live and and then writing the book live. I mean, we're not going to actually write write live, but we're going to we're going to kind of work through the process and edit and everything like that. Um, and actually, I'm pretty surprised and I'm, I'm very happy. There's been a lot of feedback on this. A lot of you have been jumping on and making comments and suggestions. And oh, my goodness, some really, really, really thought provoking uh, feedback and, uh, you know, things that and that's so this is great. And, and I do want to take a side note here on this. A lot of people. Well, first of all, a lot of writers are, are islands. They literally work by themselves. They have no nothing around them. And I've never been that way. You know, when Marie threw this idea about, hey, let's do this thing. Um, I wasn't expecting, you know, after we did that first episode, all these beautiful questions that you guys threw up on YouTube. So keep that up. Like that is that's amazing. And, and then, you know, plus it helps you guys because now you have to think about solutions for somebody else's problem. And there's two things about that one. And this reason why I say, if you're not a writer, if you're not in a writer's group, you're not a writer, you're a typist. You have to edit other people to get better at writing. You have to, it's, you know, I've said that many, many, many times on this podcast. I said in all my classes, I'm a firm believer in that. So it makes us, it makes everyone, it's, it's going to make, you know, no matter who it is, it's going to make us think about things that we didn't think about. And there's some beautiful, beautiful questions. I think we're going to even go over a few of them today uh, if there's some time at the end of this. So get involved, you know, throw some comments at the bottom if, if you're on YouTube. Again, I don't think we have that ability on. Um, we don't, but we don't have that ability if you're listening just on the podcast. But if you want to contribute, ask questions, go nuts, you can e always email us. Our email uh, is in the description. It is releasing your inner dragon, all one word, at gmail.com. So last time we did this, we just started talking about overview stuff and, and big picture stuff and everything like that. And what you did, Marie, was you went through and you started actually working on some pretty fine-tuned type stuff and, and figuring some stuff out and, you know, yeah. some amazing stuff. And what I want to do next, kind of my next process, once I do kind of what you did, so you know, for, for you out there, she wrote like, okay, here's what I think the characters are going to kind of be like, and here's what I think the story is going to be like, and here's what I think that the world is going to be like and stuff like that. But it's a lot of notes. Hmm. But once I have enough notes where I kind of feel like I at least have a grasp on the story. Now, Marie is a pantser. So would you start writing out, Marie, with this? So I would probably have started writing before this. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you. So because the the thing about the, the way that I pants is I start with the characters, right? Because it, it's really, for me, the characters drive a lot of the plot and the story. So it I find it hard to develop the plot until I have a handle on what the characters are like. And I discover the characters by writing the characters and their interactions. You saying that literally just, you know, you learn something every day. You just taught me something. Now, I've, I talk a lot about the difference between pantsers and plotters. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's a mentality. And it's, but, but you just hit on something that I never thought about that I think may actually also be a valid point. And that is how a, a cr story creator creates a story. So mm -hmm. I never even thought about it like that, that you actually create the story after you understand the character. And I can't create a character until I understand the story. And so that's really interesting. And plotting, I think, is more figuring out the story first and then figuring out which characters best fit that story and what motivations they need and what attitudes they need and what growth patterns that they need to deliver that story. Um, 
And I never thought about that. And now that when, while you were saying that, I was thinking about all my Panzer friends that I've talked to over the years and every one of them, it's the same way. It's like, well, this character started talking to me or this, you know, I got this idea for this character who moved in my head and, you know, I just started writing this character. And I'm like, that always seems so antith antithetical, antith yeah. whatever, anti-story to me yeah. um, because I'm such a story purist. And it's always about the, sto the, the story. Um, and then I can't come up with a character until I know what because you know characters i've said this before characters are tools to me yeah. um they're literally just here to deliver the story so but i that think that's be... i think that's also why people talk about pantser writers as being generally character driven writers and why readers who are more fans of pantsers than they are fans of plotters right because there are there are readers you know like who read, who prefer, they tend to be readers who are like, I'm a character-driven reader. Like, I want to see the character interactions. I want to explore the characters and things like that. And I guess that's the, the Well, difference. and see, I, I never even thought about that either. Um, because one of the things that's, that has always boggled my mind throughout my career is I got a ton of fans who will flat out tell me, I don't like epic fantasy. Mm. And, you know, you recommend Brandon Sanderson. You recommend Robert Jordan. You recommend, you know, George Martin. I can't stand those guys but I love your writing. And so maybe that's also it because even though I do it story first to, to get my character from that point on, my stories are character driven. Mm -hmm. I always write character driven stories. Um, so, and I never thought about the fact that maybe plotters don't necessarily make that adjustment where they, you know, they shift to once you get into the writing of it, for it's many plotters, Sanderson is actually a great example of somebody who honestly, like, I, I do enjoy his writing. Do not take this the wrong way if you're a Sanderson fan. But his characters are honestly, especially in the, in, in the beginning of his writing, he's much better now, but in the beginning, his characters were pretty weak. So, so I mean, they're, they're, he, he, writes, he writes a great world. He writes mm -hmm. a very complex plot. He does very good twists. All of those things are very true, right? But I, for example, don't read Sanderson more than once. Because once you've read the plot, you've read the plot. Mm. And his characters are not so strong that I get something new out of them every time I read them. Interesting. Yeah, this went in a whole different direction than I thought it was going to go. But, but this is all fascinating. Yeah. Whereas, say, um, Robin Hobb, right, with, with, a, with a Farseer trilogy. Now, the plot is decent, like it, it's an interesting plot, but the characters are what carry Robin Hobb's yeah. writing. 100%. Right. And so I reread Robin Hobb, well, not always, because like she, she does terrible, terrible things to her characters and, you know, like I only feel like crying so many times in a given year, but <laughs> but I do reread her work. Or Jacqueline Carey's work is also a character-driven writer. You know, like really that deeply character because I get something new every time I read them because the the depth of the relationships between the characters. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to I'm gonna have to really think about that and and because I have in my you know I do a class on Panthers versus Plotters and I talk about the disadvantages that they really need to watch out for. I'm going to do a little bit more research and I might add um, a disadvantage to plotters being that you really need to, to understand that plotters tend to not be, it, it, again, I want to do some research. I, I anecdotally agree with you. Like I thinking back, I'm like, Oh wow, maybe that is, that does feel right to me, but I need to go. If I'm going to put it in one of my classes, I need to actually kind of yeah. verify it. Um, but it does feel right to me. So I'm, I'm, I might end up adding another disadvantage to being a plotter is, you know, never making it a character driven story. Not all. I mean, it's like not all pantsers are bad at plot. Right. Right. And not all plotters are bad at character. Right. Characters. But it is a weakness of designing characters to fit the story that you then don't have the things that don't quite fit the story. The things that make the character human the things that don't entirely suit the plot <laughs> I, I get this all the time in writers groups where you know you'll have somebody's like oh well, this doesn't move the story you should cut this out and i'm like um i even have beta readers do this to me where they're like you have this section here that 
like, I don't know why you threw it in there. I'm like, because it makes them real. Like, that's why. And they're like, well, but it doesn't. Yeah, I've, I've had critters go like, but this doesn't move the plot forward. I'm like, yeah, it's staying in the story. <laughs> um, my, like, there is still a chapter in the third book that deals almost exclusively with one of the characters' trauma from the second book. Right. It doesn't necessarily it does a little bit for the plot. You get some information about some things and it does like there's moments of plottiness that moves the plot kind of forward by an inch and a half. Right. But it is the majority of that scene is focused on dealing with a character's trauma because their trauma needs to be dealt with. <laughs> right. All right. We went way okay. off. Topic. We have. We have. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so let's yeah. get into this. So let's, uh, uh, should I share my screen? Yeah, go ahead and, and do that. So what we're going to do is she's going to kind of walk me through what I want to do today is I want to do my next step is what I call tent post, uh, tent polling, where there's some major moments in a story that I want to nail down as quickly as possible. And a lot of it follows the hero's journey, but I kind of don't use the hero's journey terms because some can be pretty ambiguous or whatever. But, but really, it comes down to structure. And this is what I'm looking for. And, I, you know, I, this is why I go over my private clients. I've gone over this many, many, many times. I want to know some major key moments. Um, this is what helps me kind of start developing the, the, all the in-betweens. I want to know where I feel the camera's going to turn on. Where the what is the first opening scene or the first opening several scenes? What is the, this is for the hero's journey. It would be the creating the everyman. What is their life like before the story? I don't start. You know, you can start a story in either the state of perfection, or the state of imperfection. State of perfection means that the inciting incident hasn't happened. Don't don't get hung up on the word perfection. That's why I don't like some of the terms in the hero's journey, um, because it's not perfect. The the Jack Nicholson character, and as good as it gets, technically starts off in a state of perfection, even though most people look at his life as like that's not perfect. That life sucks. It's still a state of perfection because he's happy with it. He's happy with with where his life starts or where it's at at the moment. Um, so it's before the inciting incident. You really should start there. I, I, I don't see a time where I would ever start the other way because it's harder. And then you have to do a lot of stuff in backstory. And that's just. I am just going to say again that I despise flashbacks. They can all go die in a hole. The more I freaking read them, the more I hate them. I yeah. read a book recently that had a flashback on the third page and it was a magically induced flashback. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care that it's magically induced. I'm done. And I put the book down. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, that's why I always recommend starting with a state of perfection. Cause then we can get, yeah. you, we can get to know the character, their world, what they care about. We can start connecting to that character. And so that when the inciting incident comes along, we care, we actually give a crap. And so I, if, that's if you have to flash back in the first chapter of your book, you have started your story in the wrong place. Yeah. You know, we know that tragedies are harder to write than than happy ending stories. We know that, you know, starting after the inciting incident is harder to write than starting before the inciting incident. Why, if you're still learning the craft, why would you put yourself in those holes right out of the gate? Just don't do that. So anyway, going back to the tent, tent polling, I like to know where the world, where this character is going to start. Where am I going to turn the camera on? That's the way I like to, to, to kind of think about it. The next tent poll that I want to know is what is the inciting incident? What is, and, and a lot of people, I think, confuse the inciting incident. The inciting incident is the moment that the character can no longer bail on the story. They are now in it to win it. Like there is literally nothing they can do. When, when Neo takes the, the red pill, that's it. It's over. He can't go back. The inciting incident usually is the end of act one or so close to the end of Act 1, it's not even funny. However, when we look at something like Wizard of Oz, the inciting incident is when Dorothy gets picked up by the tornado. There's no going back, but we're still deep. That's only like halfway through Act 1, because we still have to meet the munchkins and meet you know, all of this and learn about the witches and, and learn about Oz and all that. And Act 2, literally, the end of Act 1 is literally when the good witch says, follow the yellow brick road, like follow Act 2 right there. There's Act 2, step on Act 2 and start walking. And so we still have a long way to go to get there. But um, and it's kind of the same thing with Star Wars. The inciting incident is when Luke comes home and his aunt and uncle are dead. There's no going back at that point. But we are still deep in Act One because we have to introduce so much stuff 
And act two literally starts when they drop out of hyperspace and it's, you know, that's no moon, you know, that's no act one anymore. That's act two. And so then we're in act two, you know, it just kind of depends on, on the story you're telling, but I like to know where my, where my inciting incident, I, I need to know that that's the next one. The third one is I do kind of want to know where act one's going to end when, and, and the reason, you know, I always say this, you should know the period that separates act one from act two. Because, and, and I mean the first half of Act Two. So I do divide Act Two into two halves. There's first part of Act Two and the second half of Act Two. And the reason is, is because you're going to change how you write. Things are going to get more tension filled. Things are going to ramp up. Things are going to move faster. So if you don't know where that period is, how do you start writing different? Same thing, you know, so that's, I want to know an idea of where Act One is going to end and, and Act Two's beginning. The next tent pole that I need to know is where is the mid act two climax? What is the end of the first half of act two? Because again, it's, it's usually a pretty big event. So like in the matrix, it's the, um, it's the um, Oracle scene, you know, cause, cause we act two is more tension filled than act one, but we're training and we're learning Kung Fu and we're learning about the matrix and the woman in red and agents and stuff like that. And we're also learning that, Oh, you, you think I'm Jesus Christ. Well, I'm not Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. And the minute two climax will always either end in a positive, you know, an upbeat or a low or a downturn. And in this one, you know, the matrix is a down or uh, the, the Oracle and the matrix is a downturn. We actually learn that we are absolutely 100% not Jesus Christ. And, but that's what the character needed. That's what they wanted. Um, it's not true, but it's what the character wanted. And so, but that is it. And then when we get, as soon as you leave the Oracle and you're in the second of Act 2, everything changes. You know, everything gets more tension-filled. And that's why you need to know the period that ends your first half of Act 2, because you're going to write the second of Act 2 much different. And then I want to know where Act 2 ends. And a lot of people confuse this. Act 2 ends when the character fully understands what the conflict of the actual story is and believes, and therefore the audience also believes, they have everything they need to overcome it. That's the end of your act two. And again, you should be able to point to the period because act three is gonna be written different. It's gonna rise in tension even more and it's gonna be even more, you know, story in it. And so, and then, you know, so I wanna know where my act two ends. And then I wanna know what my false overcome is. So the false overcome is when the, the hero has come up with a plan that keeps them on the wrong side of the theme, but they're going to beat the bad guy and they don't have to change. You know, like I, I love to talk about um, Marlin, the, uh, the daddy fish on uh, finding Nemo. He can save his son and still be an overprotective parent and everything is fine. And so he's got his plan. He goes and does it and it always fails. And for him, it fails spectacularly because he gets to the city and he's like, Oh, right. I'm a fish. I, I can't, I can't save my son. Um, I have to change. I have to do something. And so, you know, that's what we want with that. And then there's the all hope is lost moment that I usually will figure out because it's very tied to the false overcome because, you know, the false overcome fails and that pretty much fails because of the uh, all hope is lost moment. Those three things are tied very closely together. So I usually will figure out all three of those uh, tent poles. And then I I've, I've want to figure out what the overcome is. You know, how do they actually beat because that's the hard one a lot of times, because everything that they thought they were going to use to overcome failed. And so now I got to come up with something, you know, that's actually going to come up with it. So those are, those are really the big plot points that I need minimum. What's the, what's the world like and where do we turn the camera on? What's the inciting incident where there's, it's the point of no return. Where does act one end? Um, what's the mid act two climax? Where does act two end? What is the false overcome? The um, all hope is lost and the rescue from without. They're all just right in a row. And then what is the actual overcome? So nine things, nine tent poles. So if you think about you're trying to raise a tent and it's really, really long and you want it to be nice and level across it, what I'm doing is I'm putting tent poles up and it's, you know, it's sagging, you know, in between those tent poles because I have no idea what's going on there. But the beautiful thing is, even if I was like, so for like a short story, or a novella, that's really probably all I'll do. And then I'll just figure everything else on the fly because really not that, there's not much going on. That's what I want to kind of do today. I want to start there and have you start going through this and let's actually see if we can actually put those nine points into the notes that you have here. Make sense? Yep. All right. Okay. So 
where we start, we have three POV characters. Yeah. So it's a start for, for each one of them. So, um, so let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interject all the time and ask questions. Yeah. Do you have an idea of the thematic elements that you think possibly you're going to play with with each end? Because you're going to need three individual thematic yes. elements. Do you have kind of a loose idea that you're kind of going, I think the human question that I'm going to be asking through this person's story is X? Yes. Or have you just not quite gotten there yet? No, no, no. I've got, I've got that. I, I, okay. I cannot write without understanding that. I can't write a single word without understanding where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, just, I know I've been beating this like a dead horse, but remember, it is not a war between panchers and plotters. It is a yeah. sliding scale. Yes, I'm very, 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 very far, you know, on the plotter side of the scale. Mm -hmm. I'm almost to the end of it. Um, that's one of the things that Epic Fantasy, it's kind of demands that you are very heavy a plotter. But, you know, I've always said, you're not a Stephen King. You know, mm -hmm. you're not just going to sit down and start writing because a character mm -hmm. told you to you are going to, you know, plot some. So you're on, you know, you're more, you know, in the middle of this, of this scale. And I mean, I will, after I've done my first draft, I will often sit down and do a full scene breakdown of what I've written right. and then go, That's okay, now, now looking at it, you know, how do I string this thing together properly? Yep. So, but yeah, that don't initial answer, exploration don't is very. Don't answer the theme <laughs> question because we'll get there. Yeah. But um, yeah. the reason why I ask that is, and for you listening, you should always be thinking about that. As you're coming up with stuff, you're always thinking, if you don't have an idea of, well, the human question I'm going to be asking through the story is X. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, then everything that you put in there, you should go, okay, well, what human message would that be saying? And what human message would this be saying? And mm -hmm. so you start looking for patterns. And then once you get enough, if you get like, if you get like, I don't know, redemption over and over and over again, then you can sit down and go, wait a minute. Do I really want to, does this, does a redemption story arc fit this theme? And is, is that something that I want to do here? Do I want to, you know, show somebody who has totally messed up and now has to redeem themselves? Is that the human message that I think is going to sell this story? Um, and so you should always be looking for your theme, always. So, sorry, go ahead. So Buri, Buri Zuren is from the city of Tinsha, this floating city of Tinsha. Now, she is a woman in crisis, okay? Um, her partner is in long-term care after an industrial accident, and she needs to pay for his care. He needs reconstructive surgery like this. He, he, he needs a, a lot of medical attention, and she just is not able to get the money together to deal with it. As a result, she has shut herself off from her support network and tried to like figure things out on her own and ended up owing a lot of money to a loan shark, Rajat. And her story, in fact, starts with an unexpected uh, bill arriving on her doorstep, forcing her to go even further into debt with Rajat. Okay, so that's actually where the camera turns on for her. Um, and her first chapter will deal kind of with that. So she, she is a woman in, in a crisis situation. And that's kind of like the where the camera opens for her is, is showing the, the heaping crisis on her. Um, so one of the things that, that I'd be thinking, you know, during this, I say this all the time, how we control our readers is we force them to care about the character. Mm -hmm. Then we force them to care about what the character cares about. And then we, you know, can, whatever we do to that is going to dictate how the reader feels. So like one of the scenes that I didn't see in your notes, you're, you're going to need, because in that initial thing that you wrote, I don't think it was there. I feel like you're going to need a scene with Burry going and seeing her partner. It needs to be pretty emotional and touching and, um, you know, all that. It may even be where the camera starts. I don't know. I'm just, like I said, at this point, I'm just thinking and, and, and just kind of free-flowing ideas. Um, but because her main motivation is going to be probably derived, and all of these are probably, remember, all this stuff is, is subject to change and, and everything. And this is not for you, this is for them.
I think it, I really need to make sure that that is solid. If, yeah. if her motivation is coming from a plot device of her relationship with her partner, mm. then the readers need to love that relationship. It needs to be special to the reader. Otherwise, it weakens the character throughout the entire story. If they never really buy into the, oh, she's going through all these hardships and all this stuff because of this thing that, you know, especially like if, he, if we never see that relationship, if we never see the suffering that he's going through and how how that makes her suffer and so on and so forth, then the 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 motivation becomes weak yeah. uh, for the reader. So anyway, throwing that out there. Okay. Uh, so so that's Buri and her first scenes will probably be um, an interaction with her partner, an interaction with Rajat. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is before the actual in the the triple way inciting incident of the Nadi falling. So mm-hmm. this is pre all of that. Mm-hmm. Then we have Lyran Kagol. So Lyran Kagol is from Alton Shari, which is another city. He is the son of the nobleman Jinya Kagul. Um, and the city of Alton Shari is under severe resource pressure. Yeah. So they have got a shortage of durian. They've got a shortage of food. They've, in general, they, they're under a, a lot of pressure. And Jinya espoused the view that all the adapted, all the fully adapted, should be ejected from the city and, like, just kind of resource deprived and sent to live on the surface. It, you know, he tried to start a race war. He, yeah, pretty much. So he he tried and and he he got enough support amongst the other nobles that they said okay you can try it. It led to massive citywide rioting, more destruction of resources. It was a it was a mess, leading to Jinya's um, downfall from the council. So he is going to get his son onto this. Naughty Fall team in order to try and regain some of his lost honor. So Lairon's set up chapters will be the kind of fallout from their house's precarious political situation right now. So two things. Um, and again, yep. just because I'm thinking on the fly. First of all, I would highly recommend changing his name from Jenya. Um, because you have Jurin as the currency and magic and everything like that. And fair enough. It, letters matter, people. I'm yeah. not even kidding. Uh, in the original version of the, the Genesis Oblivion saga, I named the two brothers with completely different letters in every aspect. And they don't even share any letters except for the first letter. They both had an A. And it caused me grief the whole time. So when the director's cut that's coming out next June, the rewrite, um, I changed one of them because even just that made everybody confused second so i've already gone over this you know little insider into this obviously we talk about this stuff ahead of time so we at least have an idea of where we're going um and one of the things that i had said was i I didn't feel like there was enough in here that to make uh lyron likable enough so i just had an idea and yes i had this idea because i have a little more knowledge ahead of time what if um his father has completely fallen and is, you know, now just shunned. And so, um, and it's just an idea, but the city is putting together its own team in normal. And the father comes to Lyron and says, Hey, I'm going to have you help this, this team out. Um, and so we're going to put together a few more to add to it. And even though that's kind of breaking the law a little bit, we need to make sure for our people, we need to make sure I get, we get this. And then he takes them down there and they actually murder the actual team. And Lyron did not know that this was coming. And so it hits him off guard. And he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm sorry. You know, it's the only way to do it. And I knew you wouldn't go along with it because you're a little, you know, prissy man and, you know, want this. And now Lyron is kind of stuck with, well, now I have to do it because otherwise the city's going to starve. So not only does it show that Lyron is not as evil as his father, it puts him in a situation where now he's like, well, I mean, yes, it will. If we do this, it does redeem my father but i don't know and because yeah every idea has complications so just throwing that idea out goes okay but now the 
when he comes back, the people would know that they betrayed their original people and killed them and blah, blah, blah. So you'd have to work out. I mean, it's not a perfect idea. I just literally came up with it on the fly. It's a decent thought because Lyron's father can be a full-blown, and um, please, I'm just using the word as a placeholder, but can be a full-blown kind of Nazi, you know, you know, race kind of orientated right. person. Right. Whereas Lyron, obviously having grown up in that kind of a household, is extremely racist, right? Because it's what he's learned to be. But he's not. But doesn't, he's never had not, to deal with. It's not a choice. He hasn't made a choice to right. be racist. It's right. his upbringing. Right. It's an over, you know, that's an overcomable thing. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I'm saying. So when I read this, you know, when I read, I read all her notes before we started this. Hmm. And the one thing that I got from Lyron was I didn't feel like he was relatable enough to the audience. And when I was reading this, I was just like, mm, I, 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 I want a little bit that I can sink my teeth into to kind of feel, if not like him, at least feel sorry for the situation that he's been put in and yeah. see that he's at least trying to realize that maybe he's not on the right path. And so yeah. that's where that idea came from is that, you have his father put him in a situation mm. um, or whatever. Anyway, so yep. Yep. on out. Yeah. So, so uh, that's Lyron. And then Mota Verace is a uh, fully adapted. So he's a blue and white guy. Uh, Buri, by the way, is a half adapted. So we've got one from each of these um, races. Not that they're actually different races. They're different stages of the Jiren evolution. Um, wait, 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 wait. I didn't realize this. I, to me, that that opens up a, a plot hole consistency. So Laron is full human. Yes. And his father. Full human. A, but they tried to throw the full humans off. No, the they st- tried to fool the fully adapted. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Sorry. 100%. You're right. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense now. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Mota Verace is a fully adapted extremist from the Kosnika Podlosti city. So what I've built in subsequent to thinking about it is that you can overclock on Jiren magic. Okay, So you can consume excess Jiren and use it to blow out more magic. But doing so essentially starts turning you, mutating you into the eventual path is fully adapted because that's what the nanobots actually want to do, right? Okay. So Moto Verace, that happened to him as a child. He ingested a crap ton of, um, of uh, Jiren and he became fully adapted and his family actually threw him out he was adopted by a cult and in the cult he was radicalized and he is now an extremist who essentially wants to cause his city to fall out of the sky to make everybody live on Shadow on the world of Shadow or die he's he's a terrorist <laughs> right yeah. that that thinks he's saving he absolutely he is convinced that he is doing the right thing. Let's focus in on on Act One for the yeah. rest of this time. So let's let's just kind of go through them, and let's talk about where you think that, like what what are some things that you think in each one? We already talked about Burry a little bit, where we're going to have to set up, um, in my opinion, again all opinions, but where we're going to yeah. have to set up the fact that um, she, you know, the connection between her and her partner, the connection between her and her debt. Um, yeah. I do think you're probably going to use for a lot of world building as far as the, uh, because the other two are the extremes. So, you know, and that's the other thing when I'm thinking about characters and thinking about what I'm doing, I'm also thinking about which one of them. So I don't world build um, individually. I world build as a whole. It's a holistic world building. So mm-hmm. when I world build one character, then the audience has it. So I don't need to repeat that with another character. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's just how I view d- disseminating information to the reader because again the only thing that's real is the reader so that's it's not about oh well we got to explain Juran and Burry's story and in you know um Lyron's story and in Matao's story mm. they're all you don't do that it's, it's one reader and so because and is it Matao is that how you're saying that Mota 
Matau, yeah, Matau. You make it round. So, you know, Matau is one extreme. He's all in. Um, Lyron is all out. And so I don't see opportunities. Like if I'm thinking about world building, where I'm going to be doing this stuff, I think that uh, Burry is the one that's going to have to to that story arc, not the character, the story arc is going to have to bear the brunt of explanation to the reader, world building to the reader. I'm going to look for scenes that give me the opportunity to do that. So again, we talked about this earlier in this podcast. I'm not just looking at bringing in scenes that move the plot, the story. I'm also going to see about coming up with a scene that also accomplishes, you know, things that I need to introduce to the, to the reader. I think we've talked about this now, but do you have anything to add as far as like what you think would happen in her every man kind of moments? Um, so there's a couple of scenes there where I'll do like her relationship with John. I'll do her dealing with some of the shop things because she owns a baker shop. She's a baker, you know, is, a magical is, baker, but a baker. Is, is her partner's name John? I might change. I'll change that. <laughs> well, it's the problem that I had with Terry Goodkind's um, yeah. sort of true series. It's like, you know, you have Zoran, Zared, Zul, or whatever his name is, and you had this, that, and that. And then you had, you know, uh, Richard. Yeah. Like, that's your protagonist, Richard. Uh, like, man, really, you have all these fantastical names. And then you're like, and then there's John. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll there's that. a reason for it. Like, if you actually have a theme or whatever. No, you... I made the I made the name before I picked the, the cities because um, I've now given each city a real world language that I okay. use to draw their names from. Um, so Tinsha is Chinese. Um, which okay. really means Mandarin, phonetic Mandarin. Right. Um, and Uzbek for Alton Shari and uh, Serbian for Kosnika Podlosti. So what, maybe the next time we, we address this, um, you should take uh, over and go through like world building and why you do what you do. Because you actually do plot a lot of world building that I just, yes. I love. Yeah. And then obviously like the Noddy Falls, and she gets randomly put on a team. Well, and that's going to be, yeah, that's going to yeah. be toward the end of, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because she's actually the only one of these three characters who randomly ends up right. on the team. Right. right. Now, here's, here's the other thing. So the Naughty Falls is, is where the satellite is falling out of the sky. Yes. I do not see that as the inciting incident. That is something that leads to the inciting incident. Mm. But the fact that the, sat the satellite's falling from space is just the satellite falling from space. Yes. That doesn't impact. Again, that's not a, a moment of no return for any of these characters. No. It's, you know, her actually losing the lottery and that messenger showing up and saying, hey, yes. you've lost the lottery. You're, you're it. Um, it's if we do something with the father or whatever, it's, it's the father forcing yes. the son to do something. And then, you know, I don't know where you're going with the... Uh, with the with the religious zealot, but it'll Mark. be still something that that happens yeah. that that makes him go. So Buri obviously, like she gets a random messenger, and she's like, "I can't. Like, what are you talking? I'm I'm supposed to be on extended leave." Then she rocks up there, and the bureaucracy's like, "Yeah, but now you're on the team. Like, this yeah. is just how the bureaucracy goes. Sorry, bureaucracy is bureaucracy, right? We've all been in that position. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, jury duty now." Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's exactly. That's Bury's situation. Yeah. So Leron, um, as we discussed, like uh, he's we we start with his dad in a shun position. So we should probably do a scene where Leron is interacting with what would previously have been his friends, mm -hmm. and then like he gets cold shouldered, you know, like. It drives him more towards his family. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, again, it has to do with I'm trying to connect the reader to him and with him. And this is just a suggestion, but mm -hmm. but it might be something like making the audience feel sorry for him. Like mm -hmm. he had no control of this situation. It's something his dad did. And, and he's now bearing the the punishment mm -hmm. of the sins of his father. You know, his yeah, father yeah. did this stuff. And so, like, you, you just mentioned his friends. You know, his friends could be like, you know, like, no, I'm not going to hang out with you. You're, you look, look at the crap that has happened to me personally. You know, my uncle died or, mm. or you know, my house, my father's shop was burnt down from this. How are we going to pay our bills? And it's like, but mm. 
but I didn't do any of that. Like that was, that was my dad mm-hmm. um, kind of thing. I, again, all just ideas yeah. and stuff like that. But that is something that's human relatable. And it makes me go, oh, this kid is not bad. He's, he's in a situation that he really can't. It's, it's the exact same thing as uh, Burry, but from a completely different angle. Um, she's like most of us just under the strain of life. You have yeah. bills and you have family obligations and, and then duty comes along that, that you don't want to do, but you know, that, that jury summons comes along or whatever. And it's like, this is the worst time that this could possibly happen. And I've got all these other things that I have to worry about with him. He doesn't have those problems. He's a rich, you know, he's a rich kid. So his problems are going to come from, you know, more social standings and, and stuff like that. And I think that if you go with the sins of the father, uh, and just as a suggestion, again, always a suggestion. Um, that just seems interesting to me and something that people can relate to and and actually not see him as such a, a little Draco Malfoy. I think if you start him off as Draco Malfoy, it's going to be very hard because that's that same like Jamie Lannister. And Draco never makes the Jamie Lannister turn. He's just a piece of garbage from start to finish, which is makes him so memorable. Whereas with Jamie, Jamie Lannister, it's just like, oh, man, I don't want to like this guy. So I thought... A sense of the father scene would be would be a good starting point. But I also do want to show that, I mean, his big flaw is that he is a he is a racist, what amounts to a racist in this world. Yeah. So I do want to kind of show that. Like, yes, he's not his father, but he does have that, you know, you, you see it sometimes. You don't see it much anymore, but you used to see it when, like in uh, in the eighties, um, I saw it sometimes growing up, where children would be casually racist mm-hmm. um, because their parents were really racist. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's so grew, like that. I grew up in the deep south. Um, most of my friends were that way, where it's like they didn't even realize that what they were feeling what they were doing with what the attitude that they were giving off was racist. And, and yeah. that's very, in my opinion, especially here in America, I think that that's the thing is th- thematic elements need to be things that are culturally relative. So yeah. like Jurassic Park, I don't think would be as culturally relative today. Mm-hmm. We are not as afraid of science and, mm-hmm. and cloning and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the danger of that as we were back in the seventies and eighties. So I don't know if Jurassic Park would be as successful as an initial IP as it was back then. Um, but that casual racism, because it is so mm. prevalent today. Mm. Uh, and, you can, and, and again, even people that aren't aware of it, that they're doing it, can still hopefully maybe read this and go, man, maybe I'm being kind of like this. Maybe I should change and become a little better of a human being. Uh, so, yeah, I love that. I love this theme, mostly because, like I said, it's so topical right now, especially in the United States. So the at least the pattern that I'm seeing that you're saying through um, this character is that he is looking for acceptance. And so that could be his fatal flaw is that he does want uh, to be accepted and everything like that. It does throw a little bit into your act two uh, issues where he uh, it would be a different character in act two than what you have kind of lists out right now if you go this direction mm. um but that yeah. is an idea yeah. for a, a kind of a motivation for him okay okay so uh he is our cultist apocalypse dude so he is a part of this extremist cult which he was taken into as a child and radicalized after his family threw him away his family rejected him why does family reject him? Do you know? Because he overclocked and he went from human to fully adapted. So this culture isn't about being fully adapted, just a small segment within this culture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, just the small, just this cult. Right. right. So he, he got tossed out, lived on the streets, got adopted by the cult, grew up in the cult. Right. He is a true believer. When the Nadi falls, the cult. Okay, so his city needs that. They don't need the Jiren, but they need the anti-grav parts. Their anti-grav device is failing. The part that holds the city up is failing. Why don't they need the Jiren? 
So they could use the durian, but they're also willing to trade like the canister for the, and you, you understand. So they're willing to give another team the right to the canister as long as they get the anti-grab device. Now the cult will get our boy onto the team from the city. His job is to make sure nobody gets the anti-grab device because the cities already tried to trade for it amongst the other cities and have failed. No one's got one spare. Okay, so they, they really, they need this device. His job is going to be to make sure no one gets that and to get the canister and feed the canister into a radiation pit. Okay, so on the planet, there are these radiation pits that when, it, when they're fed durin, they kind of speed up the process of putting more durin bonded particles in the air and, you know, kind of make the planet more habitable and so on. That's his job. So he's kind of like an eco-terrorist from our world. All right. Um, and again, this is the one that was the, that I had the hardest time connecting to. So what, yeah. how am I going to connect to him as a reader? What, what, what makes him, or, or is he going to be more of a, of a villain type character? Like what is your plans for this character? Cause right now I don't see. So I, I have, I have two thoughts. The one is I can connect the reader to him by showing a kind of a mistreatment underdog scene. Right. In the beginning, but in my mind, Moto is a bit of a he. he he's not going to be a full villain, right? But he is a villain. He is going to be a hindrance until right, right at the end, where he and Lyron cross sect. Where he bites Frodo's hand off and then has yes. the ring in his mouth and falls into the pit. Well, not not quite. Not quite that much of a villain. So I want him to have a realization, right, of, yes, I had noble aims, but I did horrific things. Horrific mm -hmm. things do not, you know, noble aims do not justify horrific things. Right. And when I was reading it, the thematic element that was kind of yeah. percolating with me was, do, do the ends justify the means? And so I want him to like his final, final overcome is essentially to sacrifice himself to ensure the survival of the other two while they promise to take the aims of his organization forward without the horror of the kind of extremist actions. One of the things that I think a lot of people fail to do as story creators is challenge themselves. Mm. After reading that and knowing we we're going to talk about this and get to this point, here's what I'll throw at you as a challenge. Mm. I'm not 100% sure that uh, Mota deserves to be a POV character. Okay. And here's why. To me, there's two aspects every time I add something to a story. There's complication and there's complexity. I want complications. I want to force my characters to have to really work for what they're doing. But every time you add a comp uh, complication, you add complexity. And complexity is weight on the story. It's stuff that has to be explained and worked in and logical and all this other stuff. So, and this is a feeling, I can't really quantify this, but to me, every time I add a, a complexity, I mean, a complication, it has a weight. And then the, the complexity that brings along, it brings along has a weight. And if the complexity is too heavy, it sinks it down. And if it's too light, then I'm good with that, actually. The only thing I don't want is for the complexity to sink the, the complication. So the complication either needs to be even, so it kind of hovers there, or it needs to, to float upwards, which means that I'm having very little complexity for a really good complication. So a third city, a third, you know, all a third POV, these are all complexities. Um, and then also another complexity is writing a villain. And, and I know we've got, on our docket to actually talk about podcasts. Um, one of the podcasts Villain. will be about villains. Um, yeah. So I'm jumping the gun here on that one. But as we've discussed when we were plotting this stuff out, as far as what our podcasts are going to be, it is very difficult to write from the point of view because you don't have that growth. You don't have that 
connectivity you want them to kind of be again that's why i hated that they took jamie the director they did because he was a great person to hate and that is needed by the audience you need to hate something um so one of the things that i'll challenge you to think about no decisions or whatever but i would think about um doing two things one if he isn't a pov then you still have to be able to work him into the story without him being a narrative character so the answer to that would be able to would be to move him to my gut reaction would be to Lyron city and having be a cult in that city. So that cuts out a complete city that, you know, now we just have these two cities that are there that we're having to deal with. Um, and then also make him not a, because the, the reason why I like the Lyron is because obviously some of the scenes that Lyron could have to deal with in these phase one and in, in act one would be dealing with the fact that this, this eco terrorist group would freaking hate his father and his family and they're trying to kill him and like even though the the main riots are over that's not going to make these guys forgive all of that so you know having him show up and having him see him across the way when you know he just almost killed him or something like that and, and they they get away and then later in the story you know in act two when we're when we're actually out in the field on the planet having to now not only see him but have to work with him you know that is very interesting to me um so just some ideas again i have no loyalty to anything i create until it's published literally i've i mean the genesis saga i've written three novels that i'm now rewriting from scratch i literally don't care i have no loyalty to anything if there's a better way to do it and so and i think that that's a problem with a lot of you know this is something for you guys out there to think about so she came up with these three ideas, you know, three characters. She likes this and all this. She has this. And, and I'm just giving her suggestions. I'm not dictating anything here. I'm just challenging her to think about the complexity that it adds. And does it add the right amount of, you know, is that worth it for the complications that it adds? Or is there other ways to think about accomplishing the same thing? And so in reading that, that was the problem that I had when I read at the end of this uh, from the stuff you sent me, Maria. Um, was i don't know why you just called you maria it's, it's okay <laughs> in reading that i was just like i don't it doesn't do anything for me it doesn't add anything for me which is why i wanted you to like then give me it but now that you've even gone through this i'm still like man like i like why would i why am i going to want to follow this and that's what i always do as a writer i'm always putting myself in the reader's position okay now i'm the reader why am i going to enjoy this as the writer you get all giddy and you're like oh this would be so cool to tell and i really want to tell this story blah blah, blah. But, but that doesn't mean the reader is going to like it. And so I try to make sure that I always, you know, again, it's that empathy thing. I empathize with the reader. Is the reader going to enjoy this character? Um, because if they're not, then just because I want to write it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing. So if you, if, I, I guess the, the, the end of that would be, here's a suggestion. Here's a hole that I see in a suggestion to fix it. There are many other ways to fix it. Like one would be, no, I'm going to keep this as a POV character and I'm going to keep a third city, but I see the weaknesses that you're showing me and here's how I'm going to fix those weaknesses and keep this stuff. That's absolutely legitimately one way to do it. But right now, from a reader standpoint, my opinion is that I don't see a lot of value in the Moda character from a point of view character yeah. standpoint. That's I, so I, I get that. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if it's worth moving the character concept of motor and having a less. So instead of having motor be the POV character, have um, a like his adopted brother or sister or something like that be the POV character and who's trying to kind of stop him from going completely overboard. Somebody so, with whom the, the reader can have more sympathy. So the structure issue that I see with that is yeah. it kind of really is close to what Laron's growth arc is going to be. So I don't like to double dip mm. within the same thing. Not that it's not a great idea. Mm. They're both great ideas, but 
at least the way you described it there. Now, if you take a step back and you think about it and you write some stuff up and knowing that you've got to separate it far enough, because again, that's another thing is the reader doesn't want to read the same story twice in the mm. same story. So if they're very similar to each other, because then, because, the, and again, I'm very fast at, at just doing, going through thematic elements and everything like that, because it's what I've made my bread and butter on. So that still comes to, you know, yeah. acceptance and, and trying to fit in with the society, which is really close to kind of the same things that the Laron um, story is going to be I, so far. I feel like, so, so I'll, I'll tell you what my concern is. I feel like I need a fully adapted POV. Like, I feel like if I don't do a fully adapted POV and I just have like Lairon and Buri, then I'm I'm lacking a voice. Like the, Maybe. the balance doesn't feel right. Maybe. Uh, and again, these are all just ideas. Yeah. It's all suggestions. This is what I love to do when, when I'm working with my team. What if Buri ends up becoming fully adapted at the end of this, which, you know, mm. makes you makes the audience forced to see all sides of it and then that bounces off really good depending on how it how it rolls out with the fact that uh moda is a secondary character that is trying to do bad things and then because of burry's transformation because of whatever happens on the planet and she becomes fully uh adapted um that teaches that's kind of the catalyst that teaches moda that he is kind of on the you know that the ends don't justify the means and he's able mm -hmm. to make that sacrifice at the end for her um and do that and again i just challenge things this is literally how i plot with my guys it's it's always just a here's an idea great how do we make it better what if what about this what about that what about this just throwing things at you yeah. i just feel like when i read what you sent me the moda was the weak link yeah and because the, the other two i love I, I think there's tons of potential tons of story tons of growth beautiful thematic elements um you know, another thing I look for characters is, you know, do I have the ability to actually world build what needs to be world built with these character stories? So like if it was a very heavy um, religious story, but I have no religious characters or if if the ruling class makes a huge impact on my story, but all of my characters are farmers and mercenaries. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons why Genesis starts off as farmers and mercenaries, but then I introduce royalty including even royalty POV characters as the story goes along, because the royalty does impact the story and does impact the world. And I need to let, make sure that the audience can see that side of the equation too. And the only way to really do that is, is from a POV standpoint. So you are correct. I'm just saying, is there other ways that might also yeah, fit that yeah. story, but nothing set in stone. So hmm. I would, if, so how I would do it is I would chase everything. I would chase the Moda as a POV character, see if I can figure out how to. So for me, it's always looking at how am I going to make the character or the reader relate to the character, care about the character, care about their success so that when they make that sacrifice at the end, it means something to me because I don't care about the character. Mm. Like, you know, and I know a lot of people feel differently about this, but I don't give a crap about Darth Vader's sacrifice at the end. Because I think Hitler would have even sacrificed himself for his own child. Because they're like, you know, so I get in this argument all the time where they're like, oh, no, Darth Vader redeemed himself because he saved his child. He saved his freaking child. Like every horrible, evil, you know, person will do that. So I don't believe that Darth Vader redeemed himself by saving Skywalker in any way, shape or form. That isn't he, he killed children. That is an irredeemable thing to me. That's just the way I feel about it. And so that's what becomes very hard for the motor character. Now, if he's a secondary character, mm -hmm. then really his impact is upon the, the primary characters. Um, but I would, I would go down the path of, can I actually make him a primary character and make him relate relatable and make the re audience care about his sacrifice at the end? I would go down the path of having him be a secondary character. I'd go down a path of you know, what you just said, the brother. Maybe I can look for a peripheral narrator um, that, can, that can be a part of this. I'd go down all of them. That's how I plot. I chase every rabbit. And then I get to the point where I'm like, this isn't going to work at all. Or, ooh, this is good, but that just gave me an idea for another track to chase that might be even better. Um, and so I chase them all. I'm just saying that I like, I don't think writers challenge themselves enough on potential holes in their story. And so that's what I wanted to bring up with the motive character is the other two I thought were fantastic. And this one 
Now, and I said this before we started recording, it could be also that you have ideas that I don't have, that I, that you just haven't shared with me yet. And so that's another thing. If you've got, if I'm missing the point, which is very, very, I mean, I already said, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So if I'm missing the point, that's perfectly fine too. But for, at least from what you sent me, this character is the one that just didn't scream point of view character. Yeah, I'm not like, but you know, I'm not, I'm not married to any concept, um, especially without a word written, um, you know, because like, that's the thing I would only see once I got into it. Now, I mean, I have made people love my assassin character, you know, and that's a, that's a hard character to make people love as well. So yeah, but Louis, um, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's his job. But he yeah. is so dynamic and so human and so, you know, he's got so many things going on mm-hmm. that it's not like he's just some soulless killing machine. No. I don't think it was that hard to make people love Louis um, because he is he his job does not define who he is. Yeah. So like in the Jackal, um, Bruce Willis's character, there's no way you're ever going to like that character. That character is a soulless hateful he will use anything to just finish his job and that's really all he cares about he doesn't care about anything else he's the perfect villain um you know and that's why that movie works so freaking well because you know first of all bruce willis is always the nice guy and so having throwing him in there is that that literally i mean he literally is not even gay and he has sex with a dude just to accomplish his goal does not care doesn't even it doesn't affect him in any way shape or form and then he kills the dude but but he's not a pov character either Although, again, movies don't have POV, but if I was writing it in a novel, you know, I just wouldn't be able to do him as a POV character. So I'm just challenging. These are things to think about from from the stuff that you sent me ahead of time. um, Moda was the one that was like, "Mm, that's going to be a hard one to pull off. And I don't know if it it adds a lot of complexity. But what complications does it add that makes me feel like that it justifies the complexity? What I might do is I might write a couple of scenes of Moto and see if he if he fits. Because I mean I've I've written scenes that will never see the light of day um, right. from all kinds of characters' points of view, <laughs> yeah. including villain characters. I just don't put them in the book. <laughs> right. So. Well, that's a great that's a great thing to to kind of throw out there, and then we'll we'll kind of wrap this up. One of the things that I recommend all plotters do is as you create the backstories for characters, the really big pivotal moments, write them. You know, like I I used Batman as an example. If Batman chose to be Batman because he thinks that bats are the most terrifying thing in the world, because when he was 12, he fell into a well and was attacked by bats. And it just had a lasting, or when he was nine or whatever, however he was, uh, and it had this lasting impact on him, then write that scene. Go back into the young Bruce's head and, and actually don't worry about a setup. Don't worry about because you're not going to. This is for you. It's not for it's not for anybody else. Don't put it in the story. You just need to understand that scene as well as the character understands that scene. So I do that as well. I will write a lot of scenes that nobody will ever see. Um, but when I do go to put that in the story as in you know backstory or in, in maybe a, a conversation between two characters. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I fell into the well or whatever. I've I literally have lived that scene now. And so when I'm bringing it in as the character, it's much more believable because I believe it. I live through it just like the character did. So, yeah, definitely do that. Um, and then, you know, we already knew that this is going to be a little tougher on you since you're not a plotter. So however you have to, you know, work this out and, and figure things out and how it's going to how it's going to get you to the to the end. Um, you can also go, you know what, I'm just going to write it with the three characters. And if, you know, we get halfway through this novel and it doesn't work, then I'll ditch it and go a different direction. So I have a funny system in terms of my panting and my plotting. Like I will take that, um, structure of like this and that. So I, I break up my book into like, this is this section, this is this section, this is this section. Then I will like write a section and then I'll stop and be like, okay. Let me just check this section. Then I go and I check the section. I edit it. I do the outlines. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm happy with the section. It's solid. It's ready for launch. And I'll be like, okay, I've no idea what I'm writing in the next one, but I'm about to start exploring it. And then I'll write. That. <laughs> yeah. So 
I got a pants in sections also. I've never really done that because I do that during the plotting stage. But the difference between me and you is I hate writing. I hate it. My first draft is the only part of my job that I hate doing. So the thought of just writing stuff just to write it to see if it works, I would much rather just lay there and think about it and feel whether it's going to work. And, and, and that's just that's how I do it. We're, everybody's different. Again, there's no wrong way to do anything. There's just wrong ways for you to do it. So it would be wrong of me to do Marie, Marie's way and it'd be wrong of Marie to do my way. That's it. That's all it is. And neither are the wrong way to do it. So hopefully this gave you guys an insight into, um, and we're going to do this, you know, we'll, we'll move on to um, the inciting incident. This one, we, we chased a bunch of rabbits. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I think there's some interesting stuff in here. So hopefully you guys got some information about it. Um, as always, like, subscribe, share. We will see you soon for another one. Bye.